It's great to see you on this last day of 2018, the last Sunday we'll spend together. Amazing. I trust that you're ready to get into the scriptures. In fact, would you do that? Will you pull out your Bible, open up to the Gospel of Luke? Ushers are um, coming down the aisles now. If you don't have a Bible or if you'd like to borrow a Bible, we want you to have the written word there in your hand. We're making our way through this literary masterpiece that is the Gospel of Luke, and it's been amazing. And so we're, um, we're taking our time. We've slowed down a little bit to really take our time in the Gospel of Luke, because if there's one thing that we're learning together, it's that Luke is incredibly deep. Is it not? There's so much going on in every chapter, every verse, hidden layers of meaning. It's very profound. Last Sunday, a gentleman came up to me right before the service and he, he grabbed me and we were talking about Luke and we were talking about the sermon on the genealogy. And he was like, I couldn't believe how much is going on in that genealogy. And he said to me, I want you to know, pastor, that I would be totally okay if you slowed down even more, okay? And preached more sermons out of each chapter. He was, he was like, I would be okay if you preached a sermon on each verse of the gospel of Luke. And I thought, neither of us would be alive for the end of that series, okay? I'm open to it. I just won't be here. So anyway, that's what we're doing. It's very deep. I hope you've come today to think deeply about Jesus because that's what Luke is going to force us to do. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going. Will you turn in your Bible there? And as you're turning, here's what you're going to need to know today in order to understand Luke chapter 4. In the scriptures, the wilderness is the place that a person goes to discover whether they actually trust God or not. That kind of a test in God's word often happens in the wilderness because the wilderness is a place of barrenness and scarcity, and hunger. The wilderness is often a place that's dangerous, a place that makes you feel extremely vulnerable. These are the kinds of things that happen in the wilderness. There's a verse in the Old Testament where God describes the wilderness when he says, do not forget the God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground where there's no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. The wilderness is actually a place where you have to depend on God in order to survive. So we have a problem as Oregonians because for us in the Northwest, the wilderness is very lush and fruitful. It's not like the wilderness in the Bible. In fact, in the Northwest, we actually intentionally go into the wilderness to prove that we can survive without God, right? And we forage in the wilderness. And foraging, it's a big thing right now. Have you noticed this? People are love foraging. I know this because my wife, God bless her, my wife loves to forage 
in the forest. We bought this house. It's in this lush forest. And she always wants to go out and find amazing things in the forest with me. She always wants to take me out there, okay? And it's amazing, and I love her for it. So in the last year, I've foraged for mushrooms in the forest behind my house. And my wife has made me tea from the root of the stinging nettle, okay? And it was, it was okay. It wasn't great. It was okay, okay? We've had, we've had fur-tip ginger brew because we live in the forest. And we're actually considering training our golden retriever to learn how to hunt for little truffles in the ground. That's what we're doing. My life is so interesting, okay? And that's, that's what happens in the Northwest in the wilderness, but that's not the kind of wilderness that the Bible's talking about. In the Bible, the wilderness is incredibly dangerous. Think of like the most dry, arid desert. You would never be caught dead out there because you would be dead out there. You would be dead out there. But what's amazing is that in the Bible, it's actually in the wilderness sometimes that God shows up in people's lives to do the most amazing things, acts of provision and care. Have you ever been through a season in the wilderness? It's a metaphor, right? It can be a metaphor of hardship. Maybe you're in one right now. And you're thinking, this is so hard. Maybe you're looking back on 2018 and saying, I will be glad to see 2018 in my rearview mirror. It was so hard. But isn't it interesting that sometimes it's in those hardest places where we're stripped of everything we think we need to survive, that God shows up with greatest power to provide for us. It actually happens often in the wilderness. Isn't that true? You know, it's really interesting. In the Bible, God will often lead the people that he loves. He'll lead them intentionally into the wilderness. That's what Luke 4 is about. So will you look there with me, Luke 4, starting in verse 1? Here's what Luke says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, I just want to stop and point out Luke's emphasis in this first verse on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Right out of the gate, he says, now Jesus was full of the Spirit when he returned from the Jordan. This connects back to what we studied two weeks ago, this amazing scene where Jesus is baptized. And it's this astonishing vision where he comes out of the waters of baptism and the heavens are torn open and the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form on Christ like a dove. And a voice pierces through saying, this is my son, this is the object of my divine love. I'm so pleased with him. We see Jesus as being called the son of God. And then we turn to the genealogy, which we studied, and we ask the question, what's the purpose of the genealogy? And we realize the genealogy traces the line of Christ all the way to the, he's the son of Adam, who is the son of God. And we begin to see this connection. God calls Jesus his son. The genealogy tells us he's the son of God. And the very next thing that happens as we turn the chapter, chapter four, verse one, is that the Holy Spirit has filled Jesus and he leads him, the son of God, 
And where does he lead him? He leads him into the wilderness. Okay, so whatever is about to happen next, whatever we're going to see in the next 10 verses, I want you to pay attention. Every single detail of it is happening underneath the permission and underneath the guidance of the living God. Jesus is being led into the wilderness for a purpose. As the son of God, there's a reason for him to go there in order to accomplish his mission as the son of God. What will happen? Look at it with me. Luke says, verse 2, that he was there for 40 days. He was being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hangry. All right? It's like we need a word. The cat, this hungry is not enough. Imagine it, 40 days without food. And isn't it interesting? The devil, Luke tells us, the devil is there tempting him, but there comes this precise moment after 40 days when he's weak and he's vulnerable and his defenses are down. That is the moment when the devil comes at him with a full-orbed attack. We're going to talk about that more at the end. What happens? Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God. See, it's about the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. The whole temptation is focused on who is this son of God? Why has he come? The devil says for a second time, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Very interesting. The devil quotes Bible verses. That's how low he goes. We'll talk about that later. I'm saving all the juicy stuff for later, okay? (laughs) He quotes the Bible out of context, by the way. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. The most obvious way to interpret this passage is that Jesus is modeling for us how to deal with temptation. That in dealing with the devil, Jesus quotes Bible verses. That he... He leans on the scriptures. 
And that seems to be the most obvious lesson. In most sermons that you've probably heard on this passage, that's the way the sermon goes. It's about using the Bible against the devil the way that, Je- the way that Jesus does. But here's the problem. It's just a tiny little problem. That's not at all the point of this story. Like, not at all. The point of this story is not that we're supposed to go toe-to-toe to the devil and quote Bible verses at him. It's, it's a good thing to do, and it can be wise to use Scripture, but that's not what Luke is doing. And if we start there and we only talk about that, we'll miss the entire point of the, of the whole moment in the wilderness. Jesus did quote Scripture, it's true, but the question we need to ask this morning is, what verses did he quote and why? If we get to that, if we get under the surface, like we always have to do in Luke, we're going to figure out what Luke is actually doing here. Did you know that every verse that Jesus quotes comes from a very compact section of the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 6 through 8, all three quotes come from that portion of the Bible. So when the devil says to him, Hey, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answers him, man shall not live by bread alone. That's Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And when the devil says to him, I'll give you all the authority of all these kingdoms, there's one little caveat, you have, to, you have to serve me, fall down and worship me. Jesus answers him, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Verse 7, that's, that's from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. And when the devil says, test the Lord, jump off this high perch, he will will rescue you. He won't let your foot touch the ground. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, when he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6 through 8. What's happening there? And what will it tell us about what Jesus is doing in the wilderness? Well, we have to go there to find out. So will you turn in your Bible with me to the book of Deuteronomy? Keep your finger in Luke 4 because we're coming right back. Go back to the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. You know that, right? Okay. Deuteronomy. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we're going to go. Chapters 6 through 8 of the book of Deuteronomy are a recap of... The 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness. And they remind the people of Israel of all the things they were supposed to learn during those wilderness wanderings after God had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And here's what, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 8, in verse 1. It says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you should be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It was a test. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. That's the first quote that Jesus makes. 
Man will not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6 through 8 talks about the season where God has led his people because he loves them. He leads them into the wilderness, and the purpose in the wilderness was to test their hearts. And how did the people of Israel do in the wilderness? Not very well. In fact, it was a disaster area. You know the story. God had rescued them out of slavery to Egypt. They came through the waters of the Red Sea, which the New Testament describes as a baptism. They came out of the baptismal waters of the Red Sea. And as they came out of the waters, it was at that moment that God actually called Israel his son, his firstborn son, the son of God. And then he led them into the wilderness to test them. And for the next 40 years, they grumbled about bread, they flirted with idolatry, and they put God to the test again and again and again. It was like a dumpster fire (laughs) of disobedience and faithlessness, failure after failure after failure. And what's amazing is that even in spite of that, in God's mercy, God allows the people of Israel to enter the promised land in his grace. But from that point on, the whole story of the people of Israel, from the Exodus to the New Testament, is just one long episode of disobedience and faithlessness. They failed in the wilderness. You go into the wilderness to figure out, do I actually trust God? And what did Israel discover in the wilderness? We don't trust God. And so what did God do? He sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus came out of the waters of baptism. God said, this is my son, my one and only son. And what does God do immediately next? He sends Jesus back into the wilderness to pick up where Israel left off. Amazing. Amazing. When you read Luke 4, the point of Luke 4 is to show us that every temptation that Jesus will experience is an echo. It's a repeat of the very temptations that Israel experienced and failed at. Jesus comes into God's world as the new Israel, the true son of God, and God leads him into the wilderness to succeed where Israel had failed. Amazing. This is a story about Jesus. So the devil says to him, take this stone and turn it to bread. This is the timeless temptation. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the temptation to let our cravings become more important to us than the will of God. And the people of Israel experienced it. They complained and they were hungry. God, God actually allowed them to get hungry. And then he would provide manna from heaven day after day after day. Why would God do that? To teach them to look to God for provision, to teach them there's more to this life than food and your cravings and your appetites. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Israel failed and they grumbled and they didn't trust God, but Jesus succeeded. And he leaned on the word of God. So the devil keeps trying and the devil says, 
Look at all these kingdoms. I'll give you all of these kingdoms, all the authority, all the glory. There's just one little thing you got to do. You have to fall down and worship me. This is the timeless temptation to compromise your allegiance to God for the sake of worldly gain. There's nothing new under the sun. We want, we want power, we want authority, we want glory, we want gain in this world. And so often we're tempted to do that by compromising our allegiance to God. It happened to the people of Israel. They were tempted over and over and over by idolatry. Moses just comes down from Mount Sinai and what does he find? The people have taken all their gold and they've melted it down to build this little calf that they begin to worship. And over and over and over, the people failed and worshiped idols, but not Jesus. He succeeded. He depended on the word of God and he said, you shall worship no one but the Lord your God. So what does the devil do? He keeps trying. He takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple and he says, surely God would not let his son, his the son of God. Surely he would not let him be injured. Put the Lord your God to the test. Jump off. It's the timeless temptation to test God rather than to trust God. We do it all the time, don't we? Putting God to the test. Lord, if you're good, prove it to me. Show me. I talk to young men and they say, Lord, if I'm supposed to marry that young woman, will you just give me a sign, Lord? Show me something. Cause a little birdie to land on my shoulder, right? You know, <laughs> you hear it all the time. Lord, if you're real, just prove it to me. I heard a story of a man who was not a believer. He was on the Oregon coast and he was looking out at the ocean. He said, I don't believe in you, God. So if you're real, prove it to me. Cause a whale to jump out of the ocean. And you know what happened? Right away, a whale went, and he said, Lord, I meant a dolphin. I meant a dolphin, right? We put God to the test all the time. And why do we do that? Why do, why do we put God to the test? Because we actually don't trust God. Testing God is a result of not trusting God. And the people of Israel failed over and over and over again. They complained. They demanded. They said, God, where are you? Prove it cause water to come from this rock. Israel failed, but not Jesus. He said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Amazing. Israel went into the wilderness to discover whether or not they trusted the Lord and they failed the test. And then in the perfect moment in time in redemptive history, God sent a new Israel and he went into the wilderness and he succeeded where Israel had failed. And now you can see, wow, Luke 4, there's so much more going on here than I ever dreamed. Now look, I titled the sermon this morning, How to Survive the Wilderness, okay? And I'm gonna share with you a few truths under that heading. And the first one that I'm going to share with you is absolutely critical. If you don't get truth number one, the next three truths will have no meaning for you. How to survive the wilderness. Here's the first thing that you need to know. Without Jesus, it's impossible. Don't even try. Without Jesus, 
I can't survive the wilderness. I won't survive the wilderness. And neither will you. Neither will you. You say, that's a buzzkill, Pastor. Like, share something inspirational here, okay? But let me assure you something this morning, River West. That statement is some of the very best news you will ever hear. The best news you'll ever, ever hear. In fact, what I'm about to say to you is going to take us to the heart of the Christian gospel. Please give me your heart for the next five minutes. Luke chapter four is a story about the son of God. It's a story about Jesus and what he has to do. It's not a story about us. It's a story about what Jesus has to do in order to fulfill his mission as the son of God. Jesus is the hero of this story. It's not a story about what you and I can do. We, we cannot do this. We've already tried. Adam and Eve faced the devil in the garden and they failed. Israel faced temptation in the wilderness and they failed. We would fail. We don't need a pep talk. We don't need a go get them, a spiritual go get them. We don't need a, a, a religious TED talk right now, okay? What we need is the gospel. And the gospel is this. Jesus is the hero of this story. What we need is a savior. Amen? That's what we need, a savior. We need a substitute. We need a representative who will go into the wilderness in my place because I won't survive the wilderness and neither will you. And what I need is a savior who will go toe to toe with the devil for me because he'll win where I would lose. I would lose. That's the gospel. That's why we worship Christ here. That's why we put out the call Sunday after Sunday. If you don't know Jesus, throw yourself at his feet and worship him. He's, he's Lord, he's King, he's Son of God. He's the new Israel. He is the one who defeated Satan and death and temptation. And why did he do all of that? He did it to save you so that you could spend eternity with a living God. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. He's good. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus had to experience all this temptation in order to be our savior. He said, Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's really loud. <laughs> what is that? We have a high priest who's experienced every temptation. And why would Jesus do that? So that he can sympathize with us. So that at that moment when he was hanging on the cross, dying for sin, he would say, I know what it's like in the world, in the wilderness. And now do you know what you can do? You can approach the throne of God with confidence and you can become a follower of God. You say, how do you survive the wilderness? You can't without Jesus. That's truth number one. Now, truths two through three are really encouraging, but you, you can't get there without truth number one. 
So without Jesus, it's impossible, but there's a lot of things you can do with Jesus. So here's the second thing I want to say to you this morning. With Jesus, you too can become wise to the ways of our spiritual enemy. You can become wise like Jesus was. And River West, can I say something to you? I highly recommend that you do become wise because the devil is crafty. The devil will attack. He will tempt. He will come after. If you are trying to follow Jesus, the devil will try to distract you, tempt you, discourage you, and knock you off balance. And if you're in Christ and following Christ, you can become wise to the ways that he does it. So what do we learn from Luke 4? We learn he's very strategic. He's crafty. He'll attack at just the right moment when you're hangry, right? He'll wait. He'll wait till you're weak. He'll wait till your defenses are down. He'll wait till you're discouraged or lonely or in despair. And then, right then, he'll come at you. And you need to be wise. The devil will quote quote scripture. He'll take, it's not below him to take scripture out of context, right? River West, beware the person who takes a verse out of the Bible, pulls it out of context, and then builds an entire system or writes an entire book or preaches an entire sermon out of one verse lifted out of context. That's, That's what the devil does. That's what the devil does. And people are prone to do it as well. You know, pulling verses. You can make the Bible say anything you want if you pull a verse out of context. I heard a story of a woman who came to her pastor and she said, I've been wanting to leave my husband for a really long time. And I was reading the Bible and I came across a verse that actually gave me permission to leave my husband. And the pastor said, what verse was that? And she said, it's in the book of Ephesians where Paul says, take off the old man and put on the new man. (laughs) And the pastor said, I'm almost positive that's not what that verse means. (laughs) If you pull a verse out of context, you can say anything you want. And that's exactly what the devil does. And that's why at River West, We gather and we open the scriptures and we preach through and we find the context, amen? And we see the whole passage as a unit and we build our life on it. And I want to encourage you, become wise. Here's the third thing that I want to encourage you to do. With Jesus, you can build your life on the authority of God's word. And I highly recommend that you do. Begin to build your life on the truth of God, the authority of God. That's the point of Luke 4. The point of Luke 4 is not that Jesus was hucking Bible verses at the devil. I hope you're never in a conversation with the devil, okay? The point of it is that Jesus trusted God's word. He wasn't embarrassed by God's word. He believed it was authoritative, I've learned in my life to never apologize for the Bible. I'm never going to apologize for the Bible. And do you want to know why? Because Jesus was not embarrassed by the Bible. He trusted it and he built his life on it. And so should you. And then finally, and this will lead us to communion. With Jesus, 
you can begin to walk with God in a relationship of love and faithfulness. You can. And I want to encourage you this morning. How do you survive the wilderness? You survive the wilderness by being as close to God as you possibly can be. Love him. Live your life following him. And you know what? You can't do that without Jesus. You have to turn your heart over to Jesus. That's why every Sunday when we come, we encourage you. Have you surrendered your heart to Christ? Have you turned to him? Are you following him? Have you opened your heart and said, God, I believe what your, what your word says about Jesus? I hope you will this morning. I hope you will. We're going to take communion this morning. And I want you to think about something as you come to the table this morning. This is really interesting. So every temptation that Jesus experienced he actually eventually did all three things. The devil said, take a stone and do something miraculous, turn it to bread. Well, in just a, sh- a few months, Jesus miraculously multiplied bread and fed masses. And then he, he used bread as a metaphor for his body when he said, this is my body which is given for you. A miraculous provision of heavenly Bread. Jesus did that very thing. When the devil said, you can have all authority and glory over all the kingdoms of the world, well, that was exactly where Jesus was headed. But it took him through a route of humility and suffering and death and then resurrection to ascend to glory. When the devil said, throw yourself off of the top of the temple, throw yourself and trust your life in God's hands. Well, Jesus did that very thing. He threw himself onto a cross, into a tomb, into death. And why would he do that? To take away your sin. And he rose again in power. And every time you come to the table, You remember those things. And you say, Jesus, you are the true Israel. You are the true son of God. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And I hope you'll pray that prayer with me this morning. Will you bow your heads with me as I invite the worship team to come? Your word is so deep, Lord. Your servant, Luke, was so faithful Filled with the Holy Spirit, he was inspired to record these things for us. Some 2,000 plus years later, we're reading and studying and seeing again the depth, the profundity, the wisdom of it. And all of it, God, is a reminder that Jesus is our hero. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. And so we Give you our heart again this morning, Jesus. You know, for those of you who've come in this morning and you were holding back from Jesus just a little bit, maybe today is your day to begin that relationship of love and trust. If that's you, 
It's just a simple prayer that you'd pray this morning. You could pray it right now along with me. You just say, God, I, I believe what I'm hearing about Christ. I believe what I'm hearing about sin, about the wreckage of sin in our world. It's destroyed my relationship with you. And I believe that you sent your son Jesus to pay for my sin, to face the devil, to face death, to face temptation. And in his victory, I can have life today. And so I put my hope in Christ alone for new life, new spiritual life today. And I trust Jesus, Lord. If you prayed that prayer, you've become a Christian. And so thank God and praise him. And we do, Lord, we love you so much. We pray these things together in your precious name. Everyone said, amen.